Thank you. Would you like to take a seat? Let's pray as we come to consider the word of God. Father, thank you that your word is living and it's active and it's been preached here at St. Aldate's over the centuries. And we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't miss anything that you want to speak to each one of us today. Help us, Lord, to hear only what you are saying. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, God has blessed us with the gift of a new rector. And if you go to the board of rector's names uh, in that illustrious position on the way to the toilets, you'll see that the Lord has raised up leaders of St. Aldate's on that board since the 13th century. Since the 13th century. And truly, God has been building his church here at St. Aldate's for over a thousand years. We know that well. We see that in the legacies on the monuments which are around this building, and we know it from the evidence of the saints who are literally buried underneath the floor. And as we prepare to head into a second lockdown, I just want to acknowledge the Tremendous challenges that there will be in many of our lives at the moment, including issues to do with job security, redundancy, and financial challenge. I was only talking just before the service to uh, somebody in the foyer. Uh, this person has not been able to have any work as a freelancer since March. And I said, how are you managing financially? Just how are you getting by? And he said, well, we've made the decision for our daughters not to go to their usual dance classes. And we've saved quite a lot of money that way. And we've saved on the bus fares for them to get there. And I just thought, ouch, ouch. It's a small example of sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice. But let me remind you that St. Aldate's has passed through all of these in its history. The Black Death, plague in the 16th century, the English Civil War, the Great Plague in the 17th century, three cholera epidemics in the 19th century, a smallpox epidemic in the 19th century, the influenza epidemic of 1918, and two world wars. Truly, as Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And this promise is secure because right at the heart of God's church is his glorious gospel. Let's come to this account of a widow's gift. This isn't a parable. It's not a clever little story. It's part of the historic gospel account. And it involves a widow giving in the temple. And it's an account which is locked between two mighty sections of prose. We've just had the religious authorities disputing Jesus' authority. The net is tightening around him. And after this scene, we'll hear that they're actively seeking to arrest and kill him. And then in a minute, after the account of the widow, 
Jesus will teach about the signs of the ends of the earth when the Son of Man will come in clouds with power and glory to gather his chosen people from the ends of the earth and to the ends of the heavens. So between one moment of mounting catastrophe, Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion, and another one coming of final judgment, what does Jesus choose to focus on? What is our attention drawn to as we read Scripture? Jesus watching a widow giving two coins. I don't know if you know that old song by the Flamingos. Are the stars out tonight? I don't know if it's cloudy or bright. I only have eyes for you. Jesus only has eyes for this widow. The religious leaders have been making their donations. They've been pouring their coins into the 13 trumpet-shaped treasury boxes that were installed in the temple for gifts. You tipped in your money and the sound of your cash crashing to the bottom demonstrated the degree of your righteousness. And now along comes a widow who has just been in Jesus's presence as he has delivered his teaching and she drops two tiny coins into one of the boxes. And you can almost imagine the public response. Shame, embarrassment, a few patronizing smiles. Yet Jesus only has eyes for her. His eyes and his heart are riveted on her. She's put into the treasury box two lepta, which were Judea's tiniest and most meager coins made of copper or bronze. A coin expert has said that the lepton is, quote, probably the lowest denomination coin ever struck by any nation in all of history. She's not putting in very much. Yet Jesus sees her two tiny coins outweighing all the other offerings. The scales, which are stacked with these enormous offerings from the religious leaders, are unbalanced by her two tiny coins. And as so often in Scripture, our passage reveals God's great heart for those who give everything. The widow of Zarephath, who you remember, pours out her jar of flour and her jug of oil, and she never sees them run dry. The woman who pours out an entire bottle of nard, a year's wages, on Jesus' feet. That small boy who gives away his entire packed lunch. What child did you ever hear giving away their entire packed lunch? But he does so, and he sees 5,000 people fed. And now this widow giving away two mites. Her gift, however financially small, it amounts to her entire possessions. And it is the expression of a pure 
self-giving heart. Which brings me to my first point, which is that to Jesus, the widow's mites were not meager mites, they were mighty mites. The dictionary defines a mighty mite as something small, but very strong and powerful. From 1959 to 1962, American Motors built the M422 Mighty Might for the US Marine Corps. It was a lightweight, quarter ton, four by four tactical truck, which was suitable for airlifting. The Mighty Might. Now that's hardly the power that you would associate with a vulnerable widow. But that's the power of devotion that's locked up in these two coins. And if that reminds you of the power of heaven locked up in a tiny baby at the coming of Christ on earth, that's no accident. This widow gives her best and trusts to God for the rest. Paul in Philippians 4.19 says, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The widow doesn't doubt God's provision for her needs because she knows that it'll never run dry. Why would it? It comes from the riches of God's glory. So my picture of this widow in heaven is her actually in the passenger seat of an M422 mighty might with Jesus at the wheel. And they're kind of careering round, whooping with exhilaration. Secondly, the widow gave in response to the might of God's love. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Though he was rich, Fifteen years ago, I was commissioned to make a 60-minute documentary about a wealthy individual. He was actually, at the time, the 93rd wealthiest man in the world, according to the Sunday Times Rich List. And if that doesn't sound like a very high rating, uh, let me tell you that he came from a family with an estimated net worth of $13 billion. Well, his wealth was as nothing, nothing compared to that of Jesus Christ. For he is the one who speaks the universe into being, who can say the cattle on a thousand hills are mine, who has angels at his beck and call, of whom we sing in one of our worship songs, and as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made for worship, so will I. However, Paul continues, yet for your sakes, he became poor. For despite his unimaginable wealth in heaven, Jesus emptied himself and became poor. He gave up his royal robes, his royal throne, his position at the Father's right hand. He was born into hardship in a stable or a cave amidst animal refuse. 
He grows up in a poor family, in a family that can only sacrifice turtle doves at his de dedication. That's the practice of society's poorest members. He lived much of his childhood as an immigrant and a refugee in Egypt. He stooped low to eat and drink with sinners. He never owned a home. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He relied on a woman for a cup of water at a well. He depended on female followers for his provision. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He spent his last Passover supper on earth in a borrowed room. He washed the feet of his disciples, a servant's menial task. He was thought mad by his family. He was abandoned by his disciples and his reputation was scorned by the religious authorities. And he was nailed naked to a cross between two thieves. But these are just the physical circumstances of his self-emptying. Now consider the spiritual ones. He embraced the poverty of limits placed upon his power. He exercised no miracles to deliver himself from pain and suffering. He refrained from turning stones into bread after fasting 40 days in the desert. In the hour of his greatest peril, he desisted from summoning legions of angels to his side. He renounced spiritual friendship with anybody of comparable depth. And he became poor, bearing our sin. The one who was without sin took our sin upon himself. You remember in the Old Testament, the goat or the scapegoat was beaten and driven out into the wilderness, carrying the people's sins. Well, our perfect Lord endured this fate. The one white as virgin snow became stamped with the blackness of our blackest sin. He surrendered to the crushing blows of the demonic and the icy hand of death. And why? Why? For your sakes, says Paul. For my sake. For this widow's sake. All these things this widow saw. And this would have been enough to win her heart because as one in poverty and vulnerable, her heart would have gone out to Jesus and his fate. But her heart was stretched further, further, because of the grace of what now follows. You see, some with financial wealth in life come to lose it. They don't choose to empty themselves, but tragically, life circumstances empty them of it. Jesus voluntarily empties himself. Why? Paul uses six words to explain. So that you might become rich. Jesus was tempted and suffered so you'd have a high priest who could identify with you in all of your struggles. He drank from a cup of sorrow in Gethsemane so that you might drink from the cup of his new wine at the eternal banquet. He submitted to shame at his trial so that you might never have to be buried by shame again. He let himself be shackled with ropes and chains so that you might be released from your bonds and be freed. 
He allowed deep furrows to be driven across his back so that by his stripes you would be healed. He was made a curse for you so that the curse which was on you might be lifted away forever. He was stripped naked so that you might be clothed in robes of righteousness. He was forsaken by God so that you would never have to be forsaken. Imagine, imagine what it must have been like to know the contrast between his previous riches in heaven and the cold night of his abandonment when he gave that great howl, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why did he do this? For your sakes, for my sake. Through his self-emptying, through his death, through his absolute poverty, he opened up a wellspring of riches for each one of us. Reconciliation with the Father, adoption as beloved sons and daughters, the Spirit's coming for abundance of life in the here and now, and privilege and authority to reign with him in eternity. This widow knew she was a trophy of grace. She just knew it. She knew that whatever her earthly circumstances, there'd be a place laid for her at that eternal banquet in the city of God that will come down to earth with its golden streets and its jeweled foundations. She could see it all. She could see the riches that God had stored up for her in heaven. This was the inheritance that her Lord and Master had won for her. And so she responded in kind. Not out of any ought, not out of any should, but because he'd shown her the grace of his giving and she'd chosen to embrace that giving for herself. Which brings me to my third point. This widow was not a might, might not giver. When I first became a Christian and I heard that my London church was going to have a gift day and teaching on financial giving, I felt a bit skeptical. I thought, I might give, I might not give. You see, I'd received a baptism of the Spirit, but my wallet had not yet been plunged into the waters of baptism. And that all changed when I heard about the great exchange that I've just been describing. And I heard biblical teaching about how our giving is part of our worship to God, just as much as our sung worship. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and this widow so loved God that she gave her only personal possessions. What we give shows what we think of someone. And realizing this was the moment when I knew I had to nail my wallet to the cross. And I've never regretted it. It was the moment when I turned from a might, might not giver into a I will giver. You see, the fact is, is that God's mission through his church, it doesn't run on thin air and it doesn't run on hands in the air. Scripture counsels us to lift our hands in worship. It also counsels us to dig our hands deep in our pockets. Old Testament tithing was of 10% of one's income. 
But as she stands in Jesus' presence, this widow gives much more freely of herself. We encourage standing orders because it's so incredibly helpful for our financial planning ahead. But we also encourage one-off gifts on a day like this. And if you give today, you're investing in the future of St. Aldate's. You're investing in this church, which a new rector is about to come up to Oxford from London to lead. We've seen such wonderful things happening in our ministries in the last weeks. Really large gatherings of undergrads and postgrads. A 6 p.m. service that sells out every Monday morning. A morning service that has over 2,000 people watching it online. We're planning to relaunch the 8.15 p.m. service in January, regulations permitting. And we've got thriving alpha online groups with many people who are not Christians seeking. Our church continues to push at the edges of mission in Oxford. But we get no funding from the Church of England apart from two stipends and related housing. All our other income comes from commercial lets, which are zero right now, a few trusts, and the bulk from your sacrificial giving. At all dates, our utility bills, including phones and IT, total over £100,000 a year. It costs £70,000 a year to keep our buildings up and running. This year, we've spent £8,000 on equipment in order to be able to broadcast online. We give almost £250,000 to mission overseas, to the poor, and to the diocese. Our staff costs total £900,000. It may be that you're a regular giver to St. Aldate's already by standing order. And if you are, we're so grateful to you. Perhaps at this time of pandemic, though, you're feeling vulnerable. It's really understandable. We're all feeling vulnerable. But please consider this. This widow would have been among the most vulnerable in the society of her day. With no social service network, no welfare system, widows and orphans found themselves in situations of desperate need, and yet she gives abundantly. She makes me think of an elderly member of our church. He can't be here at the moment because of COVID-19. He lives in hugely modest circumstances, always sits at the back, gives regularly to the church, gives to our ministry of ACT, and is always the first to press forward to the front whenever there's a new round of financial giving. I also want to say we live in a new era of who belongs to our church. This widow was standing in the court of women in the precincts of the Jerusalem temple. This was the last court that men and women could worship in together. From then on, you progressed further towards the Holy of Holies on the basis of gender. You had to be a man or you had to be a priest or the high priest. And I want to say if you're watching online, you are part of the body of this church at St. Hilda. We're in the court of women together, whether we're here 
or in our homes. The fact is, the widow had to stop at the court of women. She was still three restricted areas away from the Holy of Holies, that place that only the high priest could go into, the place closest to God. But in Jesus' eyes, this widow is already next to God's heart. Those of you watching online may be closest to God's heart today, closer than any of us here in church. Your intimacy with him has nothing to do with your geographical proximity to this building. You belong in St. Aldate's, and please consider your giving. What Jesus cares about as he watches this woman intently is her heart of devotion. You'll notice he's entirely disinterested in the running total of financial gifts which are going into those treasury boxes. It's a bit alarming, really. He's not a spreadsheet man. And that's a real challenge to us as a church leadership. Because what difference does the widow's gift make for the running of the temple? What difference does it make? Absolutely nothing. In the human, absolutely nothing. And what difference does it make in the spiritual? Absolutely everything. I believe that Jesus at this time is not seeking today temple gifts. He's seeking kingdom gifts. And we invite you to give today to enable the kingdom ministry of Jesus Christ through this church, St. Aldate's. And if, as Simon said, you've saved a bit of money during the pandemic, as some of us have as a result of less coffees out, less eating out, less entertainment, less car journeys and petrol, less trips away, let's be aware of those in greater financial need around us at this time. Let's give to cover others. We know we're one body in Christ, and this pandemic has reinforced that more than ever. So in this season, we give with a renewed sense of giving to God and giving to cover our brothers and sisters in need. That's the church. But above all, this invitation is to come in line with the grain of God's universe, to understand that we each receive every good thing from God and to give back to him in worshipful thanks. The band would like to come up because this is the foundational truth of the Bible. We can give ourselves away in Christ and we will never run dry. Abundant life comes when we empty ourselves. Conversely, when we cling to false substitutes for God, money, sex, power, we can hoard up all we want and we'll never have enough. This widow gave because she was full of Jesus. Her being like his increased in the measure that she gave herself away. Every treasure that he knew in heaven, Jesus gave up. And for what? For who? For you, for you, for you, his treasure. The widow knew this. And so she met Jesus through her two mites. That's the spirituality of 
giving. Amen. Well, we're just going to have a moment now to consider our giving, and I'd uh, appreciate it if we could put the slides up on the screen. And these will just remind us of how we can give at this time. Normally, we'd have 450 people here, and uh, we'd all be coming to the front with our gifts. And uh, we just can't do that at the moment. It's not wise. So the key thing that you need to know is that you give through going online in this season. And you can give by placing a standing order or through making a one-off gift. It's very simple. Evie, our brilliant communications director, has made it tremendously easy. And so that will continue to play now. But I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come now, and I'm going to invite you to close your eyes with me in a moment. I'm going to give us about a minute as the music plays, just to ask the Holy Spirit, how does he want us to give at this time? Because you see, it's not really about my heart and my flesh, certainly not my heart of flesh. It's about how am I hearing the Spirit? What's the Spirit saying to me? So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd come now across this church and in every home where someone is watching online, whether now or in the days or weeks to come. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that as we go quiet now and full silent, you will just speak to each one of us. We look to you. We wait on you. Thank you, Lord. If we haven't yet heard you, Father, please would we make time and space to seek you in this at home. And I want to pray, Lord, for anybody who is in a position of financial hardship and challenge right now. Jehovah Jireh, would you pour out provision from the riches of your glory? And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand. Let's come before the Lord once more with our sung worship and then.